Hi, y'all. Caitlin and Emily, co-founders of ATX TV Festival and apparently podcast guides. We're not hosts. We're back again to bring you some more amazing TV conversations. If you're just joining the TV campfire because you heard or came to ATX TV Festival earlier this month, welcome. Go back and catch up on the last six episodes, which were curated one-on-one conversations and deep dives between TV creators and collaborators in controlled environments. Well, semi-controlled. We can't really control these people. So going forward throughout the summer, we're going to be releasing panels from the festival. These are all live. They have an audience, sometimes six or seven people on the panel. They range from series-specific conversations to a variety of fan and industry topics within the world of TV. Prepare yourselves. Things could get a little crazy. And the likelihood of crying, happy tears, and no guardrails is very high. But at the end of the day, these panels are a huge part of ATX Festival, bringing together a variety of people to discuss the past and future of TV. And you get to listen in. And if you attended the festival, this is your opportunity to clone yourself and hear all the panels you couldn't make it to. If you didn't attend the festival, this will give you a great look into who we are and what we do. We'll be releasing these podcasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays going forward. So be sure to subscribe so the variety of panels just end up in your feed. Okay, without further delay, the first panel we're releasing is our closing night conversation with Vince Gilligan and Bob Odenkirk. That night, with Entertainment Weekly, we screened Saul Goodman's origin episode from Breaking Bad, which, if you didn't know, was entitled Better Call Saul. And then Sarah Rodman from EW moderated a conversation with the creator of Breaking Bad, who's also the co-creator of Better Call Saul, Vince Gilligan, also known as the nicest man in TV, and actor Bob Odenkirk on both their and Saul's journey. So without further ado, Breaking Bad, Saul's origin story. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Austin. (laughs) So these two were secretly up in the balcony watching that. And I have to ask, what was running through your head while you were watching the episode? I was thinking that I love seeing the show on a big screen, and I wish we we could do that more often. And I was also thinking from a technical point of view that the shaky cam we did is a different, it has a different feel to it when you're watching on a big screen, and it borderline can be too much and make you a little seasick. So I was, that was actually concerning me. I was hoping nobody was particularly motion sick, sensitive in the audience. That's Bob. Well, I, I had a lot going through my head because I haven't watched this episode, I don't know how many years since I sat and watched my second run through Breaking Bad would have been it, and that would have been a long time ago. Right before I did Better Call Saul, I would say. Maybe after the first season of Better Call Saul. I don't know. My wife and I watched it twice together. She watched it a third time by herself recently. Um, And uh, I was amazed at how big my part was. (laughs) Like, it was a huge thing. I mean, Vince just gave this to me. And I was writing pilots and getting shot down for a couple years and uh, made a couple pilots. And um, then here comes this script, and it's so well written and an amazing character, and there's so much. And it's drama, 
and funny comedy, but it's mo mostly kind of grounded and I don't know why you ever trusted me. Because <laughs> of Mr. Show. You're out of your mind. Peter, Peter Gould and I, yeah. <laughs> So I, uh, it was such a big opportunity. I, um, I remember being out in the desert. I guess if you'd asked me before I watched it how much I was in the episode, I would have said, I think I'm in like three scenes, maybe four. I mean, it's a lot. And um, I certainly remember the scene. Uh, I remember pretty much all of it, but I certainly the, the scene outside in the desert at night at 2 a.m. with the um, Winnebago and the grave and the phonetic Spanish <laughs> that I was trying to do well, uh, assisted by a couple of crew members who helped me say the words properly, but was so much fun to do. And I had, my kids were um, much younger. So when... There was a lot going on in my house, and leaving to go do this show, and anybody who's a dad or has been a dad knows that the notion of such a thing is like, I get to go hang out in a hotel room. <laughs> I can watch TV and eat food, and no one's going to call me. And if they do, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> but that alone was like great fun. Uh, and then to add, to add to that, vibe, uh, being in the desert at 2 a.m. and going, I'm 47 years old and I'm going to get paid to pretend and wave fake guns around in the desert with a giant light way up in the sky. I mean, what did I do to deserve this? It's just wonderful. It's just one of the great things about show business is if you're lucky enough to have any kind of career is every once in a while you find yourself in a really weird place doing something really strange and and you just think of your friends working regular jobs and for me I'm like this is the greatest fucking thing in the world how did I make that happen how did that happen and I'll just say, one, I had a lot going through my mind, so it's a big question for me, what you said, what you asked. Um, I, I, I'm impressed <laughs> by how I did it. Because I didn't, I didn't have uh, a ton of... It's funny, I was watching some Mr. Show today because I'm writing this memoir, and I saw the recruiter scene. I don't know if you remember that. And I really feel like that was the first time I wrote an acting scene for myself. But I uh, tell them which one's the recruiter scene. Tell, it's tell the them. one where I'm I'm a basketball recruiter and David Cross is as well. And we're like we are from really tiny schools. I'm from Indiana Basin Silt College, <laughs> and we're recruiting five year olds. And and we shot it in Detroit, and uh, you know, and and it was you know it was great actors in every direction, and we played. It's funny. But also we played it kind of sad and, and it's sweet and sad. And, um, but this is just like such 10 steps up from anything I'd done, Vince. Anything, nothing came close to the, what you let me do here.
Well, you, God bless you, man. We, the Peter Gould and I were such fans, uh, and all of us writers uh, on the show on, on Breaking Bad were such fans of Mr. Show, such uh, fans of what you and David were doing on that show that uh, it, it just seemed like a no-brainer. And so at what point during the run of Breaking Bad did you have the seed of the idea to give Saul his own show? We would joke about it. Um, we probably started joking about it. I mean, the, the episode that you yes, just saw. Somebody made a joke. Somebody in the crew in the scene with Walter White where he's sitting in front of me and I say, you know, I just, I'm Irish too. My, you know, the name, the, I do the Jew thing for the homeboys. Somebody said, can I get a job on the sequel? <laughs> and everyone laughed. That was the first person. Who, do you remember who that was? No, I, I don't know. It was somebody on the camera, one of the camera guys. That's awesome. That was, they, they were prescient. They were way ahead of us. We, we saw the episode. Uh, I mean, we, we finished it. We, we uh, posted it. Got it all, uh, you know, edited and color timed and the music on it and all that. And we loved it. We were so happy with it. Peter Gould, who created the character and who wrote the episode, you saw his name in the credits, he was over the moon, I was over the moon, we all were, and we probably started joking about the idea of a Saul Goodman spinoff. Uh, they, they are, one of our camera crew uh, clearly beat us to it, but we probably started joking late that, later that season, maybe early season three. So very soon. Pretty soon the after. season is when you talk to me in the hallway in the in Albuquerque, you were there to prep for your episode, or maybe you were doing, I don't know, but you were working, yeah. uh, and you said to me, hey, what do you think about that idea of a, a Saul show? What, was that or, soon, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was the next season. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that camera guy got a job on Battlecross. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, a big part of the reason we wanted to do the spinoff, aside from the obvious fun of, of the character and, and uh you know, uh, all of those things was we wanted to keep our crew working, our wonderful crew from Breaking Bad, and we have quite a few of them uh, on Better Call Saul. But uh, it was, I can tell you, it was a joke at first, and then we would joke about it so often in the in the, in the writer's room that we realized, well, maybe this, maybe this isn't a joke. Maybe this is, uh, you know, maybe... You know, in, in humor lies truth or whatever the expression is. Maybe we should really seriously think about this. And by the time we uh, wrapped up uh, Breaking Bad, we were thinking about it in earnest and uh, talking to AMC and Sony about it. And was there any point at which, because the character was so funny, that the spinoff was going to be a comedy? I have this vague memory that that might have been something that was talked about. We talked about, we, it was very strange, Peter and I, sold the idea to AMC and Sony before we really knew what the idea was. And it's really, I mean, we jumped off the cliff without even looking. And, and on the way down, we suddenly thought, Wait, what, what is this thing we're doing? I'm not even kidding. We, we our, one of our first thoughts was, well, it'll be a half hour, maybe a single camera, but it'll be a half hour, basically a sitcom. It'll be, we were basically thinking of ripping off uh, Dr. Katz, you know, that, that basically, you know, you'd, you'd see the crazy, the, the, the office with the Constitution on the wall and the styrofoam Grecian columns and, and Saul Goodman as, as, as zany, you know, as, as outsized a character as he is, he's kind of the straight man in the show and week in and week out, famous, a lot of famous comics and famous people would come in with their legal problems and he would... And it basically be a two-hander in a in a in that crazy office, and we talked about that a lot. And then we thought, well, we know nothing about half hour. 
we know nothing about uh, writing uh, uh, straight out, you know, flat out comedy. Uh, and the great thing about drama, by the way, that we've discovered over the years is, is you get to be as funny as you can be, but then when you run out of funny, you can be serious and, and people take you seriously for it. This is basically, I'm sorry, I can't fill a whole hour with funny, so we better put some drama in there somewhere. But uh, it, it, the show uh, morphed into, uh, in fits and starts, Better Call Saul morphed into what it has become. And if you've been watching Better Call Saul, you see that every with every subsequent season, it becomes less and less funny. And the idea of Saul Goodman, who tickles me to no end watching this episode, it, it's a tragedy that, that Saul Goodman comes to exist. Jimmy McGill, if you're watching Better Call Saul, is a much more, I have much more affection for him. He's a much more uh, intriguing character. He's much easier to root for. Saul Goodman is this calcified, immoral, He's, he's, he's the old Ebenezer Scrooge versus the young, right. lovable Ebenezer Scrooge before he got his heart broken. And, yeah, it just, who, who knew? I mean, we didn't know going into it that this is where it was all going to lead. So once you had committed to the idea of doing it, did you have to go back and watch the episodes to sort of make sure you weren't going to have to retcon anything to make it work? that the things that you had established in Breaking Bad, even though Saul is earlier, to not sort of mess up the timeline? Yeah. We, we, uh, we, we try to know our history, uh, our own self-made history of Breaking Bad as, 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 as thoroughly as we can. We also have a lot of help from the, some of the younger folks in the, in the uh, office, uh, my assistant Jen Carroll and, and Ariel Levine and a lot of the Dessa, uh, uh, all these uh, folks in the office. Um, help us keep the storyline straight and make sure that we, uh, um, you know, don't get it wrong. The one thing we've been having trouble with is he said, uh, so many of these lines uh, in, in Breaking Bad that Saul gives are such throwaways that we just wrote to be funny. One of them was when Saul says two wives ago or whatever, and we're, we're thinking, man, wh when did that happen? We're having a hard time getting the, 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 the multiple ex-wives in there. <laughs> So, Bob, for you, had you filled in the sort of backstory yourself, first of all, working on Breaking Bad, and did you sort of have to change, obviously, some of your ideas once the show went? Well, uh, I in Breaking Bad, you only saw Saul at work. Um, so I didn't have to figure out his life that much. I had this notion that he plays a lot of golf and that he... Um, and that he goes to strip clubs every night. And he has a couple strippers who he thinks like him. But he, he's also smart enough to know they don't. But, so, you know, it's, it's good enough, that whole thing. Uh, but I don't really, I did not know what his life was. I, I just thought he was a guy who, there's, there's people like him probably on all walks of life, but there are certainly people somewhat like him in show business. Um, I think the term is situational ethics. Um, and I've known some of them, and I don't hate them. Um, they will destroy the world, but I don't hate them. Um, because they really are just, that's their flow. That's who they are. And, and they... Um, are always sort of on, on playing a game. Life is a big game to them. There's something 
remotely healthy about it that we could all learn from, which is they move on from failure pretty quick and everything is just uh, manipulatable to, to achieve whatever they want in the moment. Anyways, I was building off people like that who I'd met and been around and um, and I thought he was, you know, like he had a pretty thin, empty existence outside of his job, but he filled it with a bunch of crap that you can access pretty easily in America if you got a little bit of money. And that was all I had for him. But it was good enough. I mean, I draw anything I do, and that continues to now, from the script. You know, every everything the script gives me ideas about who the person is and what they're what they care about and how they speak and he's Saul's entertaining himself a lot when he talks and he's going in various directions he's kind of using words as a, a mislead uh, and keeping the ball in the air and uh, watching the person he's talking to and seeing where, where they how they respond and so I, I, everything I devised from the character pretty much came from uh, these people I'd met in show business and the script, just what the script told me. So was there any trepidation on your part? Because for, for every Maud and Lou Grant, there's like an aftermath and a Joey. <laughs> yeah. And so like when you were getting ready to launch, was there any sort of like, oh, God, I hope oh, this is going to work? absolutely. Uh, great deal of trepidation. We were coming off uh, something we, we didn't think would be uh, a hit, and then it turned out to be a hit or a, a popular whatever beyond all conception that we ever remotely had, and we didn't want to mess it up. We didn't want to leave, uh, you know, after this, uh, as, as Brian Cranston always puts it, after this this very satisfying meal that was Breaking Bad. We didn't want to leave a bad aftertaste in anyone's mouth mouths. Uh, but it was it was it was good to throw ourselves off the cliff because I had this very strong suspicion that after the success of Breaking Bad, which I did not see coming, people always say, "You know that was going to be a hit." I was like, oh, "Hell no!" I mean, how could anyone? I mean, who thought it would even be on the air? Uh, it completely blew my mind. Uh, like must be like winning, you know, uh, $850 million in the Powerball or whatever. You didn't see that coming. Uh, when that happened, I thought to myself, I better keep working immediately after Breaking Bad ends because otherwise I, I know myself well enough, I'm neurotic enough that I will seize up. I'll, I'll be paralyzed. I'll, I'll, I'll have six months off and I'll go visit, you know, the Rome or whatever, I'll go visit Easter Island or whatever and have some good times and visit, the, you know, travel the world and then come back and say, okay, time to get back to work. And then think, what the hell do I do now? Nothing's going to be as good. Nothing's going to be, you know, I uh, have to, you know. And, and So it was good to just throw ourselves bodily right into it. I think we finished the last mix of Breaking Bad on a Friday or a Saturday and then Monday Two days later, we were opening the writer's room of Better Call Saul, and that, that was healthy. That was the main reason for me, just speaking for myself, that I wanted to do it. Again, I feel silly saying this, because I, I could not be more proud of Better Call Saul now. I think it stands shoulder to shoulder with, with Breaking Bad. And a 
big part of it because of this gentleman uh, beside me. But we went into it not, uh, I want to say this carefully, we took it seriously. But we, if we had known how good it was going to be, if I had known how good it was going to be, I would have, I would have, it was good in a weird way to not take it too seriously because therein, that, that way lies creative paralysis. Exactly. Um, So get your thinking caps on. We're going to throw to audience questions after this one. Um, Another big part of it, at least for me as a viewer, is Michael McKeon, who, I mean, from Spinal Tap to Laverne and Shirley to Broadway to this now, talk a little bit about casting with him and Bob. Could you talk a little bit about working with him? You all had so many sort of intense scenes together. Uh, are you, to whom, McKeon? Uh, Michael McKeon, yeah. yeah. He's Louise. He's yeah, the, the acoustics up here a little. Yeah. Um, great theater, though, I love it, yeah. <laughs> but acoustically, yeah, weird. I mean, I Michael I've known for a while. When I was younger, I listened to the credibility gap on the record uh, that they put out. One of the records they put out floats. Do you guys know the credibility gap? That was Michael's comedy group just fresh out of college, and they've got a couple albums, and I highly recommend Floats. Um, him and Harry Shearer and David Lander and another guy, uh, they were in Pasadena uh, doing a radio show. So I used to listen to that in college, and years later got to meet him. Uh, obviously, I love Spinal Tap, and then got to meet him, and he did a guest spot on Mr. Show. He was really funny and wonderful to work with there. And um, But he's an idol of mine from comedy. And then, man, he's so good as Chuck McGill. I mean, it's the same experience as uh, Cranston with Walter White, working, op- op- working opposite people who are that good raises your game you just feed off their energy and gravity and power. And uh, obviously he's been at it for a long, long time. And I think he would agree that he hasn't been given the, all the roles that would he could show uh, how, how serious and strong he could be. And until, you know, Chuck McGill is certainly just a, a majestic part and he plays it majestically and so it's a, it's a crazy honor to work with somebody that good and doing work like he was doing yeah made me better and how, did you, how did you choose him uh michael mckean would just did the same way we chose bob we just loved him wanted to work with him and uh that was that was a situation with bob we thought we thought to ourselves this is uh you know, who's right for this part? Who do we see in our mind's eye as we write it? And and that's how we cast a lot of these roles. Uh, and in the in the case of Michael McKeon, we were huge fans of his as well. Uh, and also thought, I bet you people would buy these two guys as brothers. There's a basic, uh, they look, you know, they look like they could be brothers. It just felt right. It kind of felt right. Yeah. All right. Excellent. All right. Who has got a question in the audience? Do we have a spotter? Oh, I see you over there in the glasses. You want to stand up? Oh, there's a microphone here. I'm sorry. I... So while you get to the microphone, since the show plays with time, any chance we might see Chuck next season? Any chance you might see Chuck uh, in season four? Uh, just might be. Oh, just good. might be. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> 
Okay, um, my question is about Jimmy and Kim's relationship. I love how well it's written. I love how there's uh, room for subtext under it. I love how, um, well, Bob and Ray's uh, performances kind of let it breathe and just create such an interesting relationship. Yeah. Um, obviously, we don't know where Kim is during Breaking Bad, but uh, I was wondering, you said in the Sydney Herald a little bit ago um, that if there was going to be another spinoff, it would be about Kim. Uh, was that a joke? Because... <laughs> Please don't let that be a joke. <laughs> what was I doing talking to the Sydney Herald? <laughs> what is this? Uh, <laughs> nice city, by the way. <laughs> Beautiful opera house. Uh, but I digress. Uh, it, it, you know, that would... God, should, that'd be a great spinoff. Uh, I'm sure I did say that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's... it's I, at a certain point, you... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to say other than that that would be a, be a great spinoff. Then the question is, how, how many spinoffs does the universe support uh, before it collapses uh, like an inverted ziggurat under its own weight? But uh, that, she, she I got to tell you, she is wonderful. Ray Seahorn, uh, I'm sure I'm going to get an amen from you. Yeah, and if you like, if you're intrigued by the Jimmy and Kim relationship, uh, this fourth season is going to knock you out. I mean, it is. Because Chuck's, Chuck's out of here. Uh, off the planet. And, uh, and he left his body. <laughs> and um, so the reverberations from that go through the whole fourth season and the only person left on earth for Jimmy to care about and to wh whose love and respect he wants to have and you know earn is Kim and uh, it's just so well written it's just so well written and I was talking about this today and I won't go into it because it's kind of complex and delicate but there are some scenes between um, Kim and Jimmy that are another level of writing that I haven't seen in our show or almost anywhere outside of uh, some amazing, you know, feature films that are very beautifully written. There's some scenes between these two characters that are kind of outside of character in a way that a real couple needs to have a moment once a year or every other year where they each expand who they are a little bit and make some room for the other person. And it includes an element of forgiveness and reaching out and becoming a slightly bigger person than you are. And you'll never make it if you can't do that. And, uh, and if you can do that, then you got a real shot as a couple. And when you see these scenes with uh, these two, it means more than... There's a lot of things you can say as you watch it and go, well, they shouldn't be together. Well, that just should end. That's got to end, and that's not good for them. And then when you see these scenes, and there are two that I'm thinking of in season four, you're going to go, oh, please, they can work this out. This can work. And I wish I had that. And so I agree with you, and I don't know what happens, but I agree with you that she's not in his life in Breaking Bad. And that makes that all the more tragic that that 
is where they're going because you see these moments where it they have what it takes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Vince, this is a question for you. Uh, Rewatching this episode, it reminded me of a, there's an element that's also found in Better Call Saul, and I think I was thinking about it because my wife and I recently watched Breaking Bad with the audio commentaries, mm. and that has to do with, I mean, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul both have sky-high production values, and you rightfully call out some brilliant moments that your team achieved in the, in the series, but I was thinking about uh, Saul's TV commercials. They're sort of deliberately the opposite of that. And what do you is, mean? Is, <laughs> I mean, I remember in Better Call Saul's when you know the the, yeah. the the station crew said he'd never seen that many star wipes in yeah. a commercial before. Uh, is it weird to ask your editors to deliberately do sort of bad, ham-fisted work? Do they find that hard? Or I, you know, they love it. They love it. They really do. It is. It's fun to make something purposely bad. It's fun to make it. It really is it's 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 liberating uh and i like that question that's a good question they they my, my editors are really great at making wonderful edits they're also really shockingly good at making really shitty ones <laughs> so they they, uh, they they i think they have a lot of fun doing it it's 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 freeing it's freeing on every from every aspect i'm sure it's freeing for the actors in those commercials uh or when you're i mean you know because you're putting it on thick and that and just the way you needed to in that uh, commercial at the beginning of this uh, episode. That's the first thing I shot in character and <laughs> it's the closest thing to Mr. Show and the comedy work I spent most of my life doing and I was going to enjoy it but I also knew that it maybe didn't I needed to connect up with the guy somehow but I almost I think I almost went too far, but I, I, I'm lucky. Whatever, it's okay. Somehow it's okay. Thank you. Uh, yo, to quote Jesse. Um, first of all, uh, happy 10th anniversary to Breaking Bad. Uh, I just binge watched it for a second time, and it's even better the second time, honestly. Um, I actually have a two-parter. Uh, one, so you um, talked about the expansion of the role of Gene in the uh, fourth and fifth season. So I'm just wondering how you're going to expand the role of Gene. And number two, uh, Mr. Gilligan, uh, as an aspiring TV drama writer myself, um, just any advice? Uh, well, you know, starting with the, the first half of the question, Gene is the guy uh, I'm most interested in at this point because we have to get... And by the way, let me preface all of this by saying that I have stepped away in large part from the day-in, day-out running of Better Call Saul and Peter Gould and, and the wonderful writers we have, most of whom were on Breaking Bad, uh, or at least half of whom, uh, are just killing it. So I can finally say unabashedly without feeling like I sound like a jackass, this show is so good because I'm just a fan now. Uh, I mean, I directed one of the new season, but other than that, I was really, uh, I was not present. And the show is is just great, firing on all cylinders, better than it's ever been, uh, which kind of puts me in a weird place emotionally. But, <laughs> but, but it's true. But uh, uh, if you didn't mean it, you'd be fine saying that. But you mean yeah, it, and that's you know, I mean, the hard it, part. Really, but then I think to myself, well, what's what's the alternative? If, if it sucks, you know, then what? Well, then you can feel like they need me. Yeah, they but, really need me. <laughs> 
kind of damned if we you do, do always damned if need, you don't. Yeah. We always. But but what was my? I digressed a bit. My point being that um, you know we all of us are as much as like I said earlier, as much as we thought we loved Saul Goodman, we love Jimmy McGill more. But we've there's a implicit promise here that the whole show is called Better Call Saul. Uh, we have to get there eventually. And that's a tragedy. That's tragic. And we didn't realize, Peter and I, uh, none of us realized we were telling a, a tragic story at the beginning of the whole thing. Having said that, Gene, Gene of Omaha, the Cinnabon manager, is, and I don't want to promise anything because anything could happen with this show. And I personally, I don't even know where Peter's going with it at this point exactly. I don't even think he knows because we always just, was, as with Breaking Bad, making it up episode by episode. But... Um, you know, there is the possibility for redemption with Gene. I would think, I, I don't want to promise it, doesn't mean it's going to happen. It, the whole thing could, you know, end sadly instead of happily. But uh, that to me is what's exciting. Uh, I mean, there's a great many things exciting about the show and about, uh, you know, where it's going from here. But to me, that's one of the more potentially hopeful things. And then, you know, for a... Uh, um, Someone who's up, uh, someone who wants to make writing their career. Second half of your question. Just uh, live life and try not to learn the, of the things that you choose to write about from other writings, from other TV shows and movies and books. In, ingest all of the great movies and TV shows and books that you can, but go out and live life, and and uh, and work really hard to see the, what is going on. The, the, one of the main reasons to look at other movies and TV shows is to see what everyone else is doing so you can zig when everyone else is zagging or vice versa, whatever zag when everyone else is zigging. Try to, try to, try to give uh, the audience something they haven't seen, which is very hard because there's only, you know, I do, in a weird way, I kind of believe that thing. There's only so many stories uh, I don't think that's a bad thing, but we've all heard that thing. There's only a finite number of stories. It dawned on me a few years back. That's probably because there's only a finite number of human emotions. But that's okay within those, the, those finite big divisions. There's infinite shadings. So you can, you can find what, else, what everyone else is not doing and, 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 and go that way. That would be my best advice on that subject. Advice. All right, we have time for one more question. Should, so. should, should we be Democrats? Yeah. You go ahead. Oh, I didn't realize there was another uh, side. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, first of all, big fan of, of course, Mr. Show and your work with Let's Timmy. try to do some speed round. Go ahead. <laughs> um, round. Go back. Speed round. Uh, curious, being a creative yourself uh, and a writer yourself, Bob, how much kind of feedback or creative liberty do you have with the dialogue Saul gives or just a storyline in general? I really, uh, right from the start, knew that this was a different experience for me and I wanted to treat it differently. Um, I got that first script from Vince. I talked to him on the phone about the character. I talked about the hair, and he liked my notion of a mullet and back and a comb over on top. And uh, uh, But I started messing around with the script, you know, looking at it the way I would normally anything I had been doing up till that point in my career. And I very quickly, first I thought, well, I'm going to let them rewrite this because they're going to cut this way down. And they didn't. They, they changed one word when they went to the blue pages. I'll never forget that because I, I don't have to memorize this stuff. It's going to have to turn into, you know, <laughs> what the hell? 
And then, but I realized pretty quick, oh, I wonder if I should try to make this. And I was like, no, this guy is not me. There's, there's phrasings that make with the, what was it? He says, make with the something. Oh, give with the, give, give with the dollar. Give with the dollar. You know, like I don't talk like that at all. <laughs> but it's not me. Uh, you know, sometimes you hear actors say, I wouldn't say that. I know, well, it's not you. It's not a, you're, you're, not, you're not you, you're an actor. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Let me see if I can say this exactly as written, word perfect. And if that's hard to do, that'll be my challenge. My challenge will be make it look right. Make it look natural. Think about who that person is who talks like that and, and think of a way to say that so that it comes out of you like it should. So that's how I approached it. I continue to approach it that way. I would say that in Better Call Saul, season three and season four, I was maybe a little more interactive on the dialogue, especially if there's comedy. I feel more comfortable with saying this would be funnier, let's try this, go this way. And then, and then secondly, all of us, this was an issue a little bit, not much, but, but the fact is we know our characters now and we love them. And that's the problem. The problem is we love them. <laughs> right. the, the fact that we know them is great, but the problem is we don't want them to change. And they are changing. They evolve. And that's why we have a show. <laughs> Watch these five people do their jobs and not change at all <laughs> for seven years. Uh, they're perfectly happy with themselves and their lives are pretty good. Uh, that is not a show uh, that anyone wants to see. Um, so... The problem is, you know, occasionally we call. I mean, they, Peter listens to us. If I say, I, I, how about trying this way? And he really listens. But my problem this past year was I saw myself trying to change, or I had a desire, certainly, to change this journey a little because it's sad to me. It, it, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel bad. Uh, that he's going to be this guy who has abandoned his uh, any idealism that he had and, and the hope of being a good person, which he has had, and he's starting to just go, fuck that shit. I'm just, fuck it. No one's going to give me a chance. I'm just going to throw bombs around. And, and it makes me sad. So, and, and yeah, let's not speaker? end on that bummer note. Let's go one more. <laughs> Um, hello. Uh, my question is, what is the most important thing you learned working on Breaking Bad that has helped your professional development in your respective careers? Comfortable shoes, and someone else has said that. <laughs> shoes on the set. Uh, I, I'll try to make the speed round. All right, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, I, uh, I don't have a lot of confidence the success of it just naturally. Some people, some people born with it. Other people, I, I, for years and years before Breaking Bad, I didn't. I would be excited about something I had come up with, and then I would pitch it to people uh, I trusted, or I did trust, and they would say, "Eh, don't like that so much. That'll never sell." And I said, "Okay," and I went back to my little cubby hole. Uh, I don't do that as much anymore, and that would be good advice whether you've had a Breaking Bad uh, on your resume or not is to, if you believe in something, don't let anyone talk you out of it. Because the, the, the William Goldman, the wonderful William Goldman quote is 100% true. In Hollywood, nobody knows anything. 
and certainly no one knew Breaking Bad would be a hit. So, for me, I, I yeah, I, let's hear it for Vince. I, I mean, I don't know. I've I've gotten so much out of this experience. Uh, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> I'm. I, I, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Go with that it's feeling. It's hard for me to Bob. talk about it. it. It's hard for me to talk about it. It's a big thing in my life. This whole thing. Yeah. Good. And you are great at it. All right. So we're. Are we still doing the speed round? I'm. I'm. Nobody's shooting at me. So. One more. This is really it. Oh, Sorry, ladies. Hi. A double um, feature tonight. <laughs> um, I was just wondering what the inspiration was behind the whole Breaking Bad universe. Like, what prompted you to create all of that it is? Well, it didn't start off, I didn't know it would turn into all that it turned into, but I think the impetus, the, the, the initial, the little germ of the idea when it came to me, and, and, you know, you don't know these things when they hit you. You only kind of figure them out in hindsight, and maybe you're wrong, even, your your estimation of what, what they really meant to you or what the real point was. But I was about to turn 40 years old uh, 10, 11 years ago, 11, or whenever it was. I was, was a further back than I cared to. But uh, it, 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 I was thinking about midlife crises. I was thinking about, God, I'm already almost 40 years old, and, and man, I just... It went so fast, and it does. It continues to go faster and faster still. But I was thinking about those things. And when the idea hit, uh, you know, it, I, I realized in hindsight, it's a, it's a show, and your friend Jeff Garland said, said this, it's a show about a guy having a terrible midlife crisis. Happens to be an end-of-life crisis, but uh, kind of same difference. So I think that's where the inspiration came from. And then it, you know, and then you get a real bunch of real talented people together, and then it morphs and transmogrifies into this thing you didn't even see coming. All some, My very favorite moments of, of both TV shows were not mine. They were someone else's, but all of us working together in a hive mind kind of thing. But it's the other best advice I'd give to folks who want to be in the business is uh, the auteur theory is, is for the most part bunk. And, and people, you, you don't build a Brooklyn Bridge all by yourself. You don't build the Empire State Building all by yourself. You don't make a TV show all by yourself. It's a, you get the best people you can find, the most enthusiastic, the most creative, the smartest, the hardest working. You get them together and you, you uh, what's the word, inculcate? Am I using that word right? You, 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 you make them, you enthuse them. You, 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 you get them excited about... Uh, this thing they're all doing together, and then you do it as a team, and it's better that way. And it's and then you don't go around saying, "Oh, yeah. I did it all by myself," because that's bullshit. Let, let me just uh, jump on that because I've also running Mr. Show and lots of other things. People have come to me and asked for advice, and so just as part of that, one of the things I tell people is work with people better than you, and you just that's not easy to do. But you got to try. If you if you're the best person in the room then get out of that room <laughs> because it feels good to be the best person, but you're probably not learning much. And, um, and then secondly, um, especially when it comes to comedy not so much, I don't know how you handle it with drama, but there's people in drama is easier than and comedy. they go into corners and they're writing their comedy. You got to put it up in front of people in some capacity, 
whether it's a screenplay club you form and everyone reads their stuff once a week, or you write a few jokes and do them in stand-up, or you turn the opening of your film into a short film and you shoot two short films every year, you gotta be putting it up and getting those react and seeing how those reactions are going. Because that is part of the you can't go sit in a corner. Whenever I talk to people and they're like, I've written three screenplays and no one's ever read them and well, I don't know, you know, if you're any good. You don't know if you're any good. You you gotta you gotta interact. It's the novelists and poets go off in a corner, and what we do is a is an interaction all the time. Yeah. All right, so turn your crisis into Thank art. You. Get together with your friends. Show it to people, and then maybe in a few years you'll be up on this stage talking about the show that you made. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks. much for being here. Thank it's you so much you for too, being folks. here. Thank y'all for tuning in to this live release of our ATX Festival panel. Please come back and listen to the variety of topics coming your way, from writers' rooms to reunions to industry insider issues. This podcast was made possible by our partners, Matica Productions and the Forever Dog Network. For more information on us and our podcast projects, please visit atxfestival.com and atvxp.com slash podcasts. Next year's festival dates are June 6th through 9th, 2019, and passes are available now. 